Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The man had been staring at the ceiling of his room for hours now. Days, even. He knew every pockmark, every crack in the whitewash. The intense and singular focus on the ceiling allowed him to drown out everything else. Life had become oppressive in an intolerable sense. Every noise, every sight, every memory, every single moment reminded him of what he had done. It was slowly eating away at him, threatening to drive him insane and staring at the ceiling in an attempt to block out everything else, well, it was the only coping mechanism he'd found to have given him any kind of respite, however brief. It had been four years, but still he had flashbacks of that day, of the blood, and of a face. A face encased in concrete. The man stood up from his bed, His body ached from a fatigue accrued over years of mental anguish. He just wanted some peace. And in that moment, he made up his mind. Going to the police. Yes, that would give him peace. My name is Romola Gary. And I'm an actress who's always been fascinated by how criminal cases are solved, the amazing processes that go on behind the scenes, and the clues that clinch the case. And my name is Tracy Alexander. I'm the president of the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. 
I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice. And my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free. Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Smoking Gun, Series 2, Episode 12, The Concrete Block. The semi-detached house in Hilton Court was full to bursting with tenants. Christophe Bourgai, an airline steward, and kitchen porters Sebastian Bendu and Manuel Wagner, three Frenchmen looking to make a life for themselves in the UK. They'd lived together for a few months now under the watchful eye of their landlord and owner of the house, Dominic Kotcher, who lived over the road. Dominic was married with three children, but he owned the property, which he'd willingly given over to the three men. The house was situated in Ellesmere Port, a large industrial town in the north of England, and all the men thought it was nice enough. Just south of the metropolitan borough of Wirral, on the banks of the Manchester Ship Canal to the north of the city of Chester, it was urban but not too busy. It was convenient for their respective employment, and for the most part, the housemates got along pretty well, coexisting in the house considerately and affably. Christophe Bourgay, originally from Rochin in France, had moved to the UK in 2007 due to his job. He worked as a flight attendant for the airline Ryanair. To begin with, he lived in Liverpool with fellow Frenchman Sebastian Bendou, and then, through Sebastian, he was introduced to Dominic Kotcher, who owned a large house in Cheshire, Dominic invited Christophe, Sebastian and another man called Manuel to live in the house he owned, in close proximity to his own home and family. Dominic had the space and wanted to help, he said. Together, the men all agreed it made sense. It was a suitable stopgap for each of them at this juncture in their lives and a way to have a network of people they knew in a country as yet unfamiliar to them. In exchange for Dominic providing accommodation, the group came to an arrangement where they would pay the entirety of their wages into Dominic's bank account. In return, he'd manage all of their financial affairs. He was well-versed in the British way of banking and money management, he said. So it made sense. And while the tenants initially agreed to those terms, this unusual arrangement sometimes became a sticking point between them. Occasionally, the tension about money and who was in control of it would cause household blow-ups, voices raised and doors slammed. But for the most part, things worked without issue for the group. One day in April 2009, Christoph didn't turn up for work as usual. It wasn't like him to miss a shift, and his managers were concerned. As an employee, Christoph was usually fastidious and punctual. They didn't have a number on file to contact him, an admin oversight, 
So when he failed to turn up for his second shift, they called Cheshire police to conduct a welfare check on the Frenchman. Two police officers were dispatched to Christophe's house on Hilton Court, but it wasn't Christophe who answered the door. It was the landlord and homeowner, Dominic Kotcher. The man who greeted the officers was thickly set with a bristly, unkempt beard and a hairline which was in retreat. Dominic was polite but cool in his manner. A bit shifty, thought one of the officers. Though maybe that was just cultural barriers at play. Kotcher told the officers that Christophe had gone on holiday, back to his native France, though Dominic couldn't remember exactly where. They spent a few minutes in conversation, the officers glancing over Kotcher's shoulder into the darkness of the hallway and then casting their eyes up and down the street. We'll be back to check, one of them said pointedly. Dominic Kotcher shrugged nonchalantly and the officers took their leave. But after the door was shut and Dominic heard the thud of the officers' footsteps as they headed back towards their car, a cold panic washed across his body. He headed into Christoph's room and opened his tenant's laptop. Clicking open the email tab, he began to type on the keypad. He sent a similar email to a few family members, all ostensibly from Christoph. I'm fine. I'm having a good time. I'll be in touch when I'm back. That's it. That should do the job, Kotcher told himself. Months passed and Christoph's shift was handed to someone else at the airline. The police revisited Hilton Court, but he was still nowhere to be seen. Still apparently in France and out of contact. The officers followed it up and made some tentative inquiries across the pond. They spoke to Christoph's family, who revealed he had indeed been in touch a while back, via email, assuring them that he was well but they'd received nothing since. In this scenario, where nothing is overtly wrong, but a person's well-being can't be confirmed, a missing person's inquiry remains open. But, in this case at least, this was more of a procedural obligation. No one was particularly troubled by Christoph's absence. They reasoned that he'd probably just decided to stay in France. He was a grown man, after all. He'd be in touch. For the rest of the housemates, life continued as usual for the next two years. And various items of the AWOL Christoph, his clothes, electronics and other possessions, were sold off piecemeal to help pay the bills. But in 2011, facing a dry spell of work in the port town, the group all felt a sense of restlessness. Maybe a change of scenery was prudent, and even their landlord agreed. Dominic put his house up for rent, and it was very quickly taken over by new tenants. Kotcher handed over the keys, but told them emphatically that they were not to use the outbuilding in the garden. I use it to store personal property, he explained. In search of a new chapter, the group initially didn't make it too far, stopping in Warrington, another town in Cheshire and they stayed there for a while, finding odd jobs and collectively making ends meet. 
But it wasn't long before the gang decided to move once more. Venturing further north this time, across the border, they found a house in Dumfries, a Scottish market town near the River Nith. Ellesmere Port became a distant memory for most of them. Most, but not all. Three years later, after making the long 200-mile drive from Dumfries to Ellesmere Port, 36-year-old Sebastian Bendu walked into a phone box just down the road from Cheshire Police Station. He's tall and seems to fill the space entirely. His face is covered in blotches, a symptom of chronic stress, and he looks dishevelled. He only had £1.50 remaining in his pocket as he inserted a coin in the slot and dials the non-emergency number. He kept running his hands through his dirty hair, and he couldn't stand still as he told the operator who answered the phone that he had a confession to make. In a wavering voice, he said, This is too much for my mind. The following day, in a small interview room under the harsh glare of the tungsten lights above, Hotel worker Sebastian walked detectives moment by moment through the brutal murder of Christophe Borgai. Sebastian told them that Christophe had attacked him and he'd acted in self-defence, grabbing a knife and stabbing him in reaction. Sebastian said he was alone, no one else knew anything about the crime and he spoke the phrase concrete block over and over The questioning took place for hours as police tried to understand how everything unfolded in granular detail. And as time ticked by, Sebastian's story began to change. An accomplice became part of the narrative, Sebastian's landlord, Dominic Kotcher. And sweating as he spoke, Sebastian revealed a new version of events, telling officers that he and Dominic had planned to confront Christophe about some money Dominic said he owed. Things had escalated horribly, and Christophe had ended up dead. The officers in the interview room didn't know what to think. Sebastian was clearly in the middle of a period of mental anguish. Could what he was saying be just a fantasy, a psychotic episode of some kind? On the other hand, the man in question was missing and unaccounted for for years now. And Sebastian seemed so sincere and so specific with his details, especially about the concrete block. The next day, officers were dispatched to Dumfries to question Sebastian's housemates, who had lived with him at the time of the alleged murder. His old landlord, Dominic Kotcher, denied any knowledge. He said Sebastian was mad, as did Manuel, who said that, as far as he was aware, Christophe was living a happy life in China, or so he'd heard on the grapevine. So, what was the truth? Was Christophe living on the other side of the world? Was he somewhere in France? Or was he much closer to home? It was an overcast day with dark, foreboding clouds in the distance and Sebastian quietly led uniformed officers to his old house on Hilton Court, which still had tenants in situ, though they stayed inside. 
Sebastian walked the men along the side of the house and into the overgrown back garden. There, he gestured soberly to the narrow brick shed in the corner. That's it, he said. In there. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As they tentatively entered the garden outhouse... Sebastian's version of what had happened seemed to come to life before the officer's eyes. Christoph had told the group that he planned to move to Belgium and that despite owing Dominic some money, he would be keeping his wages and not transferring them into Dominic's account as discussed. He was tired of the arrangement, tired of not being in control of what he earned, tired of his landlord's strange dictatorship over the household. This was unacceptable to Dominic, and, according to Sebastian, Dominic had started to openly express concerns about Christoph. Over dinner one night, when Christoph was at work, Dominic told Wagner and Sebastian that there was something not right about their fellow Frenchman. In fact, he said conspiratorially, he was convinced that Mr. Bourgai was a secret agent sent by the Americans. He believed that Christophe was planning to gather evidence which meant Dominic's wife would be deported to France where she had tax issues. Dominic started to say that Christophe was their enemy and that they had to protect themselves. Christophe could land them all in prison. A dark and tense atmosphere of fear began to permeate the house over the following weeks and months. As Dominic became more and more emphatic about the threat in their midst, slowly but surely, Sebastian and Wagner began to agree with their landlord, seeing danger and suspicion in Christoph's every move. Christoph was the enemy. They had to do something. 
So Dominic and Sebastian came up with a plan. They headed to the local builder's merchants where they bought a number of items. These items included bags of concrete, bricks and limestone chipping and a set of three knives from a supermarket. With clear intent and deliberate precision, they prepared a kill room, laying tarpaulin on the floor and up the walls, ready to undertake their intended grisly deed. Christoph had no idea what he was walking into that day in May 2009. He walked downstairs willingly after one of his housemates called to him to come out of his bedroom to see something in the outhouse. He had no idea what was about to happen until the door shut behind him. Sebastian, glazed-eyed and shaking, told officers that Christoph was stabbed twice in the neck and hit with the claw end of the hammer three times. Sebastian said he was convinced in the moment, encouraged by Dominic, that killing Christoph was the right thing to do to protect everyone, the only option. Once the deed was done, Sebastian and Dominic moved Christoph's limp body into a concrete basin, a cold, gritty grave that they'd built in the preceding weeks. Sebastian's breath heaved with the effort of the story he'd just told and the relief that he'd finally expelled what had happened. The officers followed Sebastian's gaze to the far corner of the shadowy shed. There they took in the sight of what looked like a large concrete block. So was this still just the ramblings of a madman? Or was this concrete block really the grave of a murdered man? Forensic officers had the scene secured within hours. Tarpaulin tents and men in full white forensic suits could be seen in every direction. Curtains twitched, and over garden fences, neighbours gossiped about what might be going on. Officers broke open the tomb inside the shed to find it had been structured around a low brick wall. And, under three separate and distinct layers of concrete, was a body, wrapped in a duvet and some stained tarpaulin. Encased within the chalky box, they also found a claw hammer and two knives, the murder weapons, as described by Sebastian Bendu. Detective Inspector Gwyn Dodd from Cheshire Police was placed in charge of this investigation. A well-seasoned and experienced officer, he was the man for the job. But this was a case which already had far more than its fair share of twists and turns. A missing man. An almost unbelievable confession four years after the fact. A body concealed in plain sight. And a version of events which kept changing. D.I. Dodd oversaw the careful removal of the body, which needed to be transported to the mortuary for analysis, both to verify or contradict Sebastian's story and to provide more clues which might lead to justice. Sure enough, a post-mortem confirmed the body belonged to Christoph Borgai, and his death was deemed to have been caused by multiple blows to the head. Bodies preserved in well-mixed concrete will often decompose more slowly, thereby preserving crucial evidence which can benefit the investigation. Sebastian Bendu's unexpected confession had been based in truth 
albeit with some details to be verified. But he was charged with murder and taken into custody, alongside his landlord, Dominic Kotcher. But as investigators know too well, a body and a confession are not enough to secure a conviction. To make this case as solid and airtight as the concrete block itself, D.I. Dodd would go on to enlist the expertise of forensic archaeologists, entomologists, cement experts, pathologists, psychiatrists, translators and financial investigators to forensically join the dots and the details needed to achieve justice. While Sebastian had been relatively forthcoming, the other two men in question, Dominic and Wagner, were denying any kind of complicity in Christoph's death. Sebastian isn't right in the head, they said. He must have committed the murder himself. So detectives needed to establish whether Sebastian had indeed acted alone, as he'd first suggested, whether Dominic Kotcher had been the ringleader or not, and whether Manuel Wagner had been involved. Police were confident of one thing, that Kotcher did indeed exert a strange influence over his housemates come tenants, not least because of the odd financial arrangement, but also because Wagner remembered his ideas about Christoph's spy status. Then there was his manner with the officers who'd come to look for Christoph, Dominic's insistence he was on holiday, and, of course, the emails, which by now officers suspected had been sent by Dominic himself. First and foremost, forensic officers turned their attention to Christoph's final resting place, hoping it could provide firm proof about what happened. Cement experts and structural engineers, those able to comment on the block's construction, were drafted in. Drills were used to excavate the concrete layer by layer, and officers labelled differing deposits such as concrete mixes and stones. The exploration revealed that there seemed to be different mixes of concrete within the block, which had been formed and reinforced around an existing retaining wall. On top of this, various concrete mixes had been poured in. Meanwhile, in the house itself, a meticulous search had been carried out. Officers found four-year-old credit card receipts for the purchase of knives and tarpaulin, all in the days leading up to the killing, and all registered in Dominic's name. Other receipts showed the purchase of the concrete from a Cheshire store called Travis Perkins. And while it wasn't possible for the builder's merchants to match a bag of concrete to the samples from the shed, experts could say that different mixes had been made over periods of time, adding to the emerging timeline. But then, forensic analysts found a new link between suspect and crime scene. Dominic Kotcher had denied any involvement in Christoph's murder, emphatically. But what was not contested was that he'd done various DIY jobs around the house. Part of his role as landlord and homeowner, after all. And one of these jobs had involved mixing concrete, a dollop of which he'd accidentally dropped on his driveway. And the composition of this particular concrete matched some of the concrete within the concrete grave exactly. Dominic was the only person to undertake such work. 
so it stood to reason that that concrete had been made up and used by the same person, or at the very least, from the same bag. In July 2013, Dominic and Sebastian were both charged with Christoph's murder. Police had a harder time placing Wagner in the timeline of events. He was accused of helping to move the body and faced charges of assisting an offender and preventing a lawful burial, but it would take nine months before the case would make it to court. Sebastian had confessed, but his mental health had clearly been in question for months at this point. The stress and guilt he felt weighing heavily on his heart and mind. Between the day he had confessed to Cheshire Police and the date of the trial being announced, Sebastian had been sectioned, involuntarily placed under psychiatric care for his own safety. As the trial approached, the prosecution contested this and, after various expert assessments, Sebastian was deemed fit to stand trial. That trial took place at Chester Crown Court. And while Sebastian had confessed, what he would be charged with was still in question. His solicitor pleaded that there were mitigating circumstances and that the Frenchman had been under the mental health influence of Dominic Kotcher, who over months of systemic brainwashing had convinced him that Christophe was a French spy. In addition to that, Sebastian's defence lawyer pressed the court that his schizophrenia must be taken into account and should be a diminishing factor. The court rejected this claim, and Sebastian was convicted of murder. The 39-year-old was sentenced to life with a minimum of 14 years, where he'd have plenty more time to stare at the ceiling and contemplate what he'd done. Dominic Koch's trial took place in March 2014. With a sallow pallor and unruly stubble creeping down his neck, he stood in the dock. The jury didn't believe his pleas of ignorance, and he was unanimously found guilty. The judge ruled that he must serve a life sentence with a minimum of 23 years, and Kotcher was led away. Later still, housemate Manuel Wagner, who had been adjacent to this narrative from the start, was cleared of any wrongdoing. While officers and the CPS had the insistent inkling that he had been involved in Christoph's death, they couldn't prove it. So while Sebastian and Dominic adjusted to life in Her Majesty's pleasure, Wagner moved to Toxteth in Liverpool and tried to start his life again. But that's not the end of this story. Police officers and detectives often refer to leaving no stone unturned, to not being able to rest until a case is properly concluded and justice served. Two years later... In September 2016, police once again knocked on the door of Manuel Wagner's house. They read him his rights and placed him under arrest. This time, he was being charged with murder. In the long days and weeks in prison, Sebastian Bendu had yet more time to think about how things unfolded on the fateful day of Christoph's murder. He had more information to give police. He wanted to change his statement. Sebastian was now saying that rather than himself or Dominic, it was in fact his 28-year-old housemate, Manuel Wagner, 
who had struck the first blow. This admission was what police needed to finally wrap up the case. And a year later, in Chester Crown Court, the older and gaunter Sebastian Bendu took the stand to give evidence against his previous housemate and friend. I went into the kitchen and saw Manuel hit him a further ten times, he recounted. Christophe was shouting, Stop! Stop! Bendu went on to paint a grisly tableau in which all three men were equally complicit. He remembered that he and Wagner wrapped Mr. Borgai's body in tarpaulin and carried the dead weight to the shed while Kotcher mixed the cement. Perhaps unsurprisingly, when it was his turn to take the stand, Wagner wholeheartedly refuted Sebastian's claims. He told the jury that he didn't play any part in disposing of his body, that he was Christoph's friend. Wagner remembered coming home and being greeted by Sebastian, who asked for his help to move a large tarpaulin-wrapped package. He tried to convince the jury that he thought this might contain some rubbish. I don't know if it was the body or not, he said earnestly. Wagner was the third man to be convicted of Christoph's murder. The jury returned the verdict at the end of the three-week trial and Wagner was handed a life sentence in prison with a minimum term of 16 years. Judge Clement Goldstone QC summarised the case to the jury describing it as a truly wicked crime. He said, It is impossible to imagine the pain and agony which Christoph Bogai suffered in the minutes following the attack on him. I only hope by the time he was wrapped up and placed in his tomb that he was dead. And if it hadn't been for the unique composition of some concrete and the clues it preserved, his killers might never have been held to account. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Romola Gary, And by me, Tracy Alexander. The series is supported by the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. Their work supports the international fight to improve forensic techniques, to share ideas and develop the crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review and help spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you want to listen to all episodes right now, you can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime. 
On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me, where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story Crime. There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing, with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people, which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees, and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun, we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime, subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love. And it costs just 3 pounds per month. 